There are companies, and you've heard of them, that are backed by venture capital groups. And in their case, what they're going for is shelf space and market share. They're not interested in turning a profit. They can lose millions of dollars while they're gobbling up shelf space, putting small producers out of business. And once they've gobbled up that shelf space, what do they do? They have their five or seven year exit strategy where they sell out to General Mills and everybody walks away with millions. If you're sensitive to dairy, it may not be the dairy, but the type and quality of dairy you're consuming that may be the issue. Today, Sam Ingersoll is here from Kelowna Supernatural, and we dive into the politics of dairy and what most people don't know about the demands and requirements from the government and all the regulations dairy farmers have to do. Plus, what grocery stores require from brands to actually be on the shelf and how brands actually need to pay the store and participate in ads that's costing the small brand money. It's an unfortunate reality. Plus, we discuss regenerative agriculture and why it's better for not only the animals, but for our own gut health, along with differences between homogenized and non-homogenized dairy and how that scam even began. Guys, so much is covered in this episode and I cannot wait for you to listen. You are listening to the Digest This Podcast and I'm your host, Bethany Cameron. Let's get right into the show. Okay, you guys, listen up. If you have the following symptoms such as constipation or diarrhea, anxiety, sugar or alcohol cravings, poor immune system, compulsive or disordered eating, low muscle mass, poor wound healing, slow recovery after workouts, heartburn or acid reflux, or digestive issues like colitis, IBS, diverticulitis, Crohn's, celiac disease, or symptoms from food sensitivities, taking L-glutamine could be beneficial. L-glutamine is one of the most important nutrients for a healthy digestive tract because of its ability to maintain the integrity of the intestinal wall. This amino acid, which is the most abundant amino acid in our body, helps heal all human tissues, especially those irritated tissues in the digestive tract. It's also been known as the calming amino acid since it's very effective at reducing anxiety, as well as sugar and alcohol cravings. Even progressive addiction treatment centers will use it to help reduce cravings. Plus get this, you guys, in a 2011 study published in the Yonsei Medical Journal found that glutamine supports the immune system and it's especially beneficial for patients in the hospital and those fighting viruses or overwhelming infections. Your entire immune system is protected from the toxic environment by your gut barrier. And if that barrier gets damaged, you will get sick and create an overactive immune system, producing inflammation throughout the body. Thankfully, a damaged gut lining can be reversed and can be accomplished by getting enough gut healing nutrients such as L-glutamine. Clinically, medical professionals have found this to be true with their clients and I myself have experienced the benefits. That's why I created my very own L-glutamine powder under Bethany's Pantry. This powder is pure without any additives, fillers, flavorings, gums, or unnecessary ingredients. The ingredients are literally just one, L-glutamine. It's vegan, paleo, keto, and tasteless. So you can literally just add it to a glass of water, stir for five seconds, and sip without tasting anything. 
This amino acid also works well in smoothies, mixed in yogurt. I've even added it to my guacamole. It dissolves instantly and you can't even tell it's there. And your body will thank you from all the benefits you're giving it to fully heal in the area you need healing or just boosting your immune system in prep for the upcoming flu season. Guys, I am so proud to finally offer a clean L-glutamine powder I can fully recommend. If you want a bag, just go to newsest-usa.com slash Bethany's Pantry, where you'll find this plus all my other Bethany's Pantry items. Again, go to newsest-usa.com slash Bethany's Pantry. That's N-U-Z-E-S-T-USA.com slash Bethany's Pantry. I'll also leave that link in today's show notes. If you suffer from headaches, you're not alone. One in every six people suffer and more than 8 million Americans visit their doctor for headache-related issues each year, 75% of which are women. Of course, women go through more hormonal changes each month and their moods fluctuate, which can cause migraines to the point of many unable to even function, let alone work or be the mother or wife they typically are on a daily basis. We need help. But the side effects from NSAIDs like Advil or other over-the-counter anti-inflammatories sometimes aren't worth it. But did you know that CBD has been shown time and time again, study after study, to be one of the best natural anti-inflammatories available? and no prescription is required. Ned is a brand I've been personally consuming for over two years, and one of their newer products is their Brain Blend. It not only contains full-spectrum hemp, but also botanicals to help support brain function and clarity, such as MCT, ginkgo, bacopa, Siberian ginseng, lion's mane, and lemon essential oil. I took this blend when I had a major headache and within 30 minutes, it was gone. No joke. So if you need a natural relief from headaches or just want more clarity in your brain to think and focus, I highly recommend Ned's Brain Blend. Become the best version of yourself and get 15% off Ned products with code DIGEST. Go to helloned.com slash digest or enter code DIGEST at checkout to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering my listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. Thank you so much, Sam, for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I'm a big fan of yours. um, And I think I feel a lot of what your uh, listeners are going through, um, the journeys they're on. And so I'm delighted to be here. Yeah. So I just like to start without any hesitation. So there's a lot of misconception about dairy and gut health. And a lot of people with gut issues say, I just, I can't, I feel better when I go off dairy. And I I want to ask you, because I know for a lot of people with your dairy in particular, or not just particularly your dairy, but let's just say conventional dairy versus organic dairy. What is the difference there? Because I know when people go off dairy, they may be feeling better because they were consuming conventional dairy. So can you give us a little bit of insight there? 
Yeah, I think first of all, um, conventional dairy um, comes from a place that's not very good and not very natural and not very healthy. Uh, typically, conventional dairies have five, 10, 15,000, up to 15,000 cows packed in barns. They typically receive a very high diet of uh, GMO grain and corn. Cans, cows can digest um, can digest grain. Grains are seeds. Cows can eat seeds. But when their diet is 40 to 50% um, from grain, um, and in some cases we, th- we feel like distorted grains, um, that is really bad for the cows. They live in pretty high stress conditions. They get milked three times a day. Uh, and they usually last about two to three two to three years before they're taken and turned into burger, honestly, is what happens to them. Um, So you're already starting with um, milk production from the cow in a very unhealthy environment with all the stressors and things that that go into that. If they're fed a lot of grains, right? Grains are like oats, for example. Oats are one of the uh, most sprayed crops for glyphosate. So they're most likely, they're not going to be eating organic oats. So they're most likely eating glyphosate, heavily sprayed glyphosate food, which in turn trickles down to the the product that you're consuming, that we're consuming as as consumers. (laughs) Exactly. And I think there's lots of emerging research, you know, People with uh, disabilities and autoimmune disorders and things have just skyrocketed as the use of glyphosate and some of these other pesticides and herbicides and um, um, uh, fake um, additives have been stuffed into food and fed yeah. to cows in their in their diets. Yeah, so right away they're starting the milk is starting at a very we think a very poor quality, both in terms of the and the taste and the nutritional value, which is very different from uh, organic and then regenerative. Yeah. So can you explain the difference between organic and regenerative? And for me, people that don't even know what regenerative farming is, what is that? Yeah. So the first thing, the way to think about it is that conventional farming is using lots of, of poisons and is focused on killing things, <laughs> soil, grasses, etc., cetera, um, in order to get production. Uh, organic is much better. At least we're not using lots of herbicides, pesticides, GMOs, um, some some organic producers don't even use vaccines like ours don't. Um, and so you're at least not poisoning the environment, the cows and the people. That's one way to think about it. You stop doing that. Um, there are some minimal, also some minimal well, animal welfare standards. So they have to have access to pasture 120 days a year or more. We typically um, uh, go beyond that. Um, that's different from regenerative. Regenerative is just not just stopping doing bad stuff, but it's really proactively doing good stuff. So in the case of cow health, we're managing for a high diversity of grasses on pasture. You can have an organic cow that has access to pasture, but it's one or two or three varieties of of grasses, um, which ends up um, having milk that's not quite the same nutritional density and it's not as good for cow health. Regenerative is looking at Um, increasing the diversity on the pastures in ways that increase the soil health, which is where the minerals and nutrients come from. Um, And then also um, pulling carbon out of the atmosphere, which is a whole other story. But when it's done naturally, pulling carbon and nitrogen out of the atmosphere to feed plants ends up being very good for cows and plant life and finding its way into into our food system. How does soil health affect our gut health? 
Well, it's where it, I, th- I really think it all, it's where it all starts. You know, I'm kind of I'm kind of laughing. I remember my mom, who was this crazy woman who had all kinds of ideas 20, 30 years ago, uh, started talking about gut health. And I was like, huh? Like, this is just another one of mom's crazy kicks, you know? And then 20 years later, it's grown up and there's lots of science around it. Um, but the nutrients from our food, first of all, have to come from somewhere. And we know now that, for example, a carrot is not a carrot. A regeneratively farmed carrot has way more vitamins and nutrients than a conventionally raised carrot because the regenerative carrot is grown in an environment where they're working with the natural biodiversity of the land. So there's cover crops, there's there's certain kinds of plants that will pull minerals from deep within the soil. There's certain kinds of plants that will allow water to penetrate. You can think about a field as a solar farm that's pulling in lots of energy. If you have lots of different kinds of panels, plants, it's pulling in more and lots of other things are happening. So we see that with plants um, in terms of produce and vegetables, we see a a difference in the nutritional quality. And we also see that in milk. I think there's pretty good evidence emerging that grass-fed milk, grass-fed beef, uh, the omega-6 and omega-3 ratios are, are much different. Um, for corn-fed beef, it's something like, like it'll be like 15 to 1 or 20 to 1 omega-6, omega-3. With grass-fed um, food, you get a much closer a closer balance. Um, some of this emer- is, is emerging after COVID where um, the immune system, the inflammation and inflammatory response that tr- COVID or other disease triggered feeds on omega-6s. And so if you're way out of balance, it just sucks that up. Now, if you're in balance, it sucks up the omega-6 and then it calms down, right? It's balanced. If you got too much omega-6, it revs up and then it keeps revving up and keeps revving up and keep revving up. And that was part of what was going on with um, our systems and why so many people who were really unhealthy died Mm -hmm. (laughs) and got very sick. And it happens, and obviously it happens across the board um, with um, heavily processed foods that that have equal imbalances or real low nutrient values. Um, the body's, you know, your body just can't absorb that junk and then all kinds of things go wrong. We don't exactly know how and why, um, but it's pretty obvious, I think, to most people that a natural way and, and high quality foods are best. So, so if you, if your food has started in a bad place, by the time it gets to your gut, there's nothing, there's nothing to start with. And then if, and then if it's been really heavily processed and destroyed and you've added a bunch of chemicals and other junk to it. Your body can't do anything with it, and in fact, is is um, digesting things that are really unhealthy for you. Yeah, well, the soil does play a huge part, and in fact, my uh, my husband he was an uh, agriculture major, and uh, mm-hmm. it's just a fun, fun little story. We were gonna uh, plant some just vegetables in our backyard, and he's like, "No, no, no, we we got to get like the good soil. Like, let me you don't plant anything until I get good soil." And so he did his own little mix mixture and put it in our backyard. But and I was just like, "Okay, you know," and this uh-huh. was maybe about a year ago. But it's so true. And in today, our soil is so depleted uh, within so many crops and farms that you're just not getting the same nutrients like you were saying, just from, I mean, even even organic uh, produce doesn't have the same amount of nutrients as per se a regenerative farm with the the manure and things that are just all right. working cohesively with the animal and the plants. Yep. Yeah, it's really true. You know, science in a way can explain a lot. Um, 
and in in its in it, but it can also be very reductionistic, where it just looks at one piece of thing and doesn't really it can't possibly um, understand the complex dynamics that are going on in our in in whether in our bodies. My wife's a physician, by the way, so I know a lot about that, and I hear complex details of what goes on. But it also highlights what we don't know in terms of our bodies, and it also highlights in terms of what we don't know about our. Our, um, our natural world. I mean, one teaspoon of soil contains something like 9 billion bacteria, and we understand what about 100 do. You know, we don't have a clue really about what's really going on. Um, but we think that evolutionary processes that over tens of thousands of years um, that created our natural world with plants and animals and soil, fungi and, fungi and microbes all working together in conjunction with what's in our atmosphere and the sun, um, those things developed over over thousands and thousands of years. Um, and when we start pulling them apart, for example, taking animals off the land, it breaks that chain. When we start pumping land and soil and um, farms full of chemicals, it breaks that chain. Uh, I don't want to hate on any farmers. I know why they're doing it. I have friends who are farmers and they're trying to survive and keep production up by the means that have developed since the 1950s. But they're not really... Um, great. And I think both in terms of farming and in terms of our health, we're learning to go back to some old ways and that the old ways are better. Yeah. Um, now, you said you mentioned that you do have some friends that are farmers. Are they like a personal farm or do they uh, produce for a bigger company? Um, well, both. I mean, some of them are some of them are typical row crop, row crop farmers, some organic and non-organic. Uh, we've talking to those guys. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, you know, just switching to regenerative is hard because their soil has been so depleted. Um, some others do do produce. You know, it's easier to sort of, um, you know, it's just easier and more traditional to plant rows and rows and rows and lettuce and get tractors and, and you know, put on them what you need to do to develop a big volume. It's very hard to be a successful farmer and make any money. Um, absent lots of government subsidies. The farmers are not free. There's no freedom out here. Yes. Um, they're having I mean, heavy government subsidies or they're in the they're in the employ of Chinese pork companies right now. You know, it's pretty awful. Um, and and so switching to a really uh, dynamic style of farming that requires really careful observation over time and adjusting, much like your listeners are doing with their health. Um, is is a challenge. It's new. It's different. You have to really pay attention um, and and think differently. And it's hard for them. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a huge challenge with a lot of farmers, and a lot of people don't know really the logistics and the 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 politics really that are in farming, and that a lot of farmers they have certain regulations that they have to go through for their their upper boss. Now. I don't know if you want to get into all of that, but the the benefits of a smaller farm, I know there's so many, but it is more expensive, especially, you know, a small brand like, you know, Kelowna Supernatural, right? And so talk about the benefits of a small farm, but also it is more expensive, which is why smaller brands are typically more expensive at the grocery store, which a lot of people need to know is that, oh no, this small brand, they're charging more because they want more money. That is simply not the case. It's actually costing the brand more money to make a quality product versus 
the big box, you know, people. So go ahead and explain that. I'll let yeah. you. <laughs> so, so a conventional, a conventional dairy, right? will take, will take a, a ton of cows, stuff them in a little small area and then feed them heavy corn diet. Grains, what grains do is they give cows a lot of energy. So if a cow is out in nature, I mean, we've bred them to be domesticated in a lot of ways, but if they're, if they're out in nature and there's a drought or over the winter and they're licking up seeds off the ground or they're eating plants that still have the seed heads, that will give them some energy to help them get through. Their bodies though, uh, the, the acid, acidity in their stomachs um, can ramp up to 10 times. So, um, what happens with these conventional cows is that they will get stuffed with grain and they will produce two and three times the amount of milk. Just their systems are jacked up and they're running and they're running and running, which means that the, the that milk can be sold a lot less because there's so much more production coming out of that same animal. And they tend to um, have Holsteins, which are the big bl black and white spotted cows. Those cows produce a lot more. They're much bigger cows. They've been heavily, heavily bred a certain way. Um, their cream fat's lower. Um, they don't do as, they don't, they just pack them, these big monsters into barns. We have, we have Holsteins, of course, and I love them, but I really like Jersey cows. Um, anyway, so on, an, on a small farm that's, that's grass fed, you're getting maybe 30% less production out of that, out of, out of the cow. It's probably a smaller cow too. It's probably a Jersey. It's easier to handle because you're living with it all the time. Um, so right, right away, we're at a cost at a diff, at a at a cost diff, disadvantage there. Um, you could you could just say two to three times the cost of milk is because they produce it two to three times um, more cheaply. Well, and you're feeding your cows obviously quality food, and so that food is more expensive. Yep. Well, it, it's a it's a tricky it's a tr it's it's very tricky. So if you're um, giving your cows 100% grass and you're able to grow that on pasture, and you're using regenerative techniques to make sure those are very diverse uh, diverse types of grasses, um, and you have enough pasture, then you're okay. But as soon as you have to, you, as soon as you're you know, there's only so much grazing season for most farmers, right? And if the we're heavily dependent on the weather. If it doesn't rain and it doesn't shine and your grass production goes down and your growing season gets shortened, then you've got to give your your cow something. So you either buy it off the market. Our farmers have organic organic pastures and um, lots of relationships in their community to buy from, or you got to buy it off market and prices of hay go up and down. So yeah, it can, it can destroy your, um, you can end up spending a lot to and, and spending a lot to maintain your standard. For sure. Whereas, you know, you can buy soy from Brazil and, you know, um, cheap, cheap grain from wherever and stuff your cows with it in bulk. It's a lot cheaper. I have a question too about um, antibiotics. Now, are natural antibiotics still used in organic farming? Oh, I don't think, I don't think our guys use, use any. They're the, the healthy, the living conditions that cows are really healthy. Um, our herds are from nine to the largest one is 125. We probably average about 35 cows, which is really small. And most of them have, have real adequate pasture. So the, the living environments are so, um, are so good that there's just a lot less stress on the cows. They didn't, they didn't use antibiotics or vaccines from way back. And, you know, some of these farms have been doing that for 150 years. So, um, they've just sort of ignored the modern, the modern methods. Um, some of them give, some of our farmers give herbs to cows, some grow in pasture. Cows will actually seek out the kind of plants that give them what they need if they're not feeling well. And, um, and our, our herds are so small, you know, our, 
Farmer walks outside, he can sense the mood of particular cows. If you go on Instagram, there's one Lucy that's licking me. You know, friendly cow. Cows have personalities. Some are ornery, some are really friendly. You can you can you can adjust to and and treat them. Um, you let them stay in. You know, you don't hassle them. Maybe you get off the pasture. Maybe you get them away from the other cows a little bit. It's kind of like kids. <laughs> I mean, really, there's a lot that goes into a farm for sure. And I'm sure you guys get a lot of joy out of it. Now, I kind of want to ask about the culture, the culturization, because you not only do you have milk, but you have cultured yogurt, you have kefir, you have amazing cottage cheese. There's actually, this is just new. There's news that many yogurts on the market don't actually contain live probiotics. This is coming out when I think we all knew this, but this is now public. And so now the FDA is going to require brands to get tested for lot for live probiotics with every yogurt to ensure that it does contain live probiotics. And if they don't, then the whole thing is they can't really claim that on their their label. Yep. So what's the deal? Have you heard about this? I haven't, but I'm not surprised. Um, we, we know that most yogurt sounds like a healthy option, but most yogurt, when you see it, is full of sugar and additives and stabilizers and things that aren't very good. And then what you're referring to, the 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 culturization process, yeah, if they if they add cultures and they pasteurize after, it just kills them anyway. Yeah. Ours, all of our stuff is a is a um is, is a more traditional way where you where you low temp pasteurize the milk ahead of time as low as possible allowed by law and then you add the cultures and for example our our yogurt it just gets wheeled into a hot room where the cultures then de then develop um and so they are live and active and then it then it gets it it's in the package already they it cultures in the package it just bubbles up and and then we ship it we it, don't it is so we don't bubbly. add something and then zap it again to give it a longer shelf life I don't know about you, but for me, when it gets into the cooler months, I don't drink enough water and it's easy for me to get dehydrated. Like most people, we often drink less water in the fall and winter for a few reasons. First of all, it isn't hot like it is in the summer, so naturally our thirst for water goes down because we aren't sweating in the sun. But just because it's not hot doesn't mean we need less hydration. We need the same amount all year long. And in fact, we may actually need more in the wintertime because most of us are drinking more hot coffees, lattes, and teas, which can actually dehydrate you. Yes, you heard me. Caffeinated drinks like coffee and tea can dehydrate us. So for every one cup of coffee, we should be consuming three additional cups of water. Most people don't take that into consideration. It's just so easy to opt for a hot cup of joe rather than just water in the cooler months. I'm not saying you should stop enjoying your cup of joe for sure, right? I enjoy a cup of coffee myself. But what I am reminding you and myself is to drink extra water. Now, a trick for me to drink extra water is by adding one packet of Elements electrolytes into my Stanley cup. By doing this, it helps me not only stay hydrated, but I'm also getting my daily electrolyte needs. Sometimes it's not enough just to drink plain water, and we often need essential minerals to help balance out our body and stay hydrated. I personally stick with Element's raw unflavored version, which contains no sugar, no flavorings, no coloring, and no fillers. It contains a science-backed electrolyte ratio of salt, 
magnesium, and potassium, and their unflavored version has only those three ingredients. Other electrolyte drink mixes have added sugar, maltodextrin, dextrose, gums, and even added oils. Electrolytes are essential for our body to function. So you want to not only make sure you are getting them, but you are getting the best kind. There's also research to back that when you keep hydrated, there are lower risks of anxiety and depression in individuals. So at the very least, do it for your mental health. And it's a cheap way to prevent all sorts of other issues caused by dehydration. Element is formulated to help anyone with their electrolyte needs and is perfectly suited for those following a keto, low-carb, vegan, or paleo diet. And right now, Element is offering my listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packs free with any Element order. To get free packs, you must go to drinklmnt.com slash digest to get this offer. Element also has a no questions asked refund policy. So you can literally try it totally risk-free. And if you don't like it, they will give you a full refund, all your money back, no questions asked. And you can keep what you have. So you have literally nothing to lose. So just go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash digest to get this amazing offer. There's a new ingredient on the market proven to be just as effective as fluoride and completely non-toxic. We all know how fluoride can affect our health and research continues to evolve. According to the International Association of Oral Medicine and Toxicology, fluoride can contribute to acne and other skin conditions, high blood pressure, thyroid dysfunction, TMJ, and even neurological problems. And acute high-level exposure to fluoride can lead to abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, and even muscle spasms. So thankfully, this new fluoride replacement ingredient is just as effective for dental hygiene and much safer. You guys, this new ingredient is called hydroxyapatite and it's the active ingredient used in bite toothpaste non-toxic bits. Unlike fluoride, hydroxyapatite works by remineralizing enamel from within, reaching the innermost part of a dental cavity, and it binds to plaque and harmful bacteria in our mouth. So if you're brushing your teeth daily, and I hope you are, that's a lot of exposure to chemicals that could potentially accumulate and take a toll on your health. So if you're brushing your teeth anyways, why not switch to a cleaner, more sustainable brand like Bite? Bite toothpaste bits have been in my household for over a year, and my husband and I love using their fluoride-free tablets for our oral health. I even love their mouthwash tablets that are so convenient to travel with or just keep in your purse for a quick mouth refresher. For the mouthwash, you just bite down on a tablet with a bit of water, then swish it around in your mouth. You can even do this in your car. It's perfect on the go. And for the toothpaste bits, I typically take two at a time and chew them up in my mouth wet my toothbrush, then start brushing. Bite also has a natural teeth whitening kit. 
So if you've been looking for a natural toothpaste without the paste, try Bite Toothpaste Tablets, which come in glass jars to help reduce plastic waste. Experience what I, my husband, and so many others are obsessed with. And right now, Bite is offering my listeners 20% off your first order. Go to trybite.com slash digest or simply use code digest at checkout. Yeah, for anyone that needs, that wants to try this yogurt or this cottage cheese or their kefir is like so tingly on the tongue. It's super cultured. And um, so that's great to know. So you obviously, you uh, culture it after pasteurization. Um, Now, can you explain the difference between um, pasteurization and also what non-homogenized and homogenized is and what's the difference in what your products are? Yeah, let's talk about pasteurization first. Pasteurization sort of first started when there were lots of big dairies located right up against cities in very filthy conditions, right? You remember what anybody that studied urban planning in the history of cities knows how disgusting they were for a long time, right? So cows are sick and there's bacteria getting the food and people are getting sick. And so they they introduced pasteurization. I mean, farmers used to, cowboys would boil water in the pots, you know, out that they pulled out of the stream a lot of times. Um to, to prevent them from getting sick. So it started as a good idea, but I think the legislation and stuff really took off over a couple incidents um, of probably salmonella in California back in the 70s, I'm gonna say, 60, 70s. Um, and then it maybe was a case of government overreach where there was, you know, regulators got involved. As we know, fear and creating issues scares people into um, believing you and giving you political power and, and buying things. So, so that sort of thing, that sort of thing took off across the country. Um, There are three basic, there are three basic kinds of pasteurization now, low temp vat pasteurized, it's called vat or batch pasteurized, which is what we do. It's the lowest possible temperature allowed by law. Uh, It kills things like salmonella and E. coli and some other nasty things. Um, Some farms are very, very clean. You go there and you're like, wow, this is wonderful. Other farms are dirty. You know, cows are lying in lying in the pasture. Let's say that they're lying in a very unclean barnyard. You know, they've got cow poop all over them. And then they go into the milking parlor and it's dirty. Um, so we just, we just, because we're required to by law, do it at the lowest possible temperature. That we that kills the bad stuff. It definitely kills the bad stuff. The question is whether whether it whether it destroys other natural enzyme and other structures in a way that make it less able to be absorbed by your body, that distort the taste, um, and that also uh, damages some of the nutritional benefit of it. The next step up, HTST, that's typically used for yogurts and other things because that's required. Um, that's That goes, uh, sorry, that pasteurization is at 145 degrees for 30 minutes. We bring it up slowly, heat it up, and then cool it down. Um, HTST is for like 13 seconds or 15 minutes, 168 degrees. The problem is the next level, which is ultra high temp pasteurization or ultra pasteurization. That's when it's zapped at 280 degrees. Everything's killed. It can last in a shelf three to five months. We could say you could send it to Mars and it would be just fine. Um, and and we feel like, and many of our customers feel like, that just destroys the milk. It'll cook the sugars. You don't know that because it's in cartons. Um, but if you look at it, it's got a, usually it'll have a little bit of a brown tinge to it. 
It tastes like water. It is a very flat kind of taste. Um, and then the structures are are basically destroyed. Um, it kills the bad stuff, but we think it kills lots of good stuff too. Although nobody studied this, why would a big company study this? Um, the, the the key benefit to companies, so I'll give some, uh, some of our organic milk competitors, most of them ultra pasteurize. I'll give them a break here because when they were an organic company defined to one area and they're selling across country, transportation of organic milk with a very low shelf life is very difficult. That's what we have a lot of difficulty with that. So they were trying to get organic, healthy milk, supporting small farms out to the entire country. But now the organic farms are everywhere. Um, and they don't, nobody wants to do what we do because our milk at a low temp pasteurization has about a 19 day shelf life as opposed to three to five months. So when we get our milk from the farm right down there, when we get the milk from the farms right over there, it comes in, we practically bottle it the same wet day and ship it the next day. Cause it, it'll take a while to get to the distributor, then get into the stores and then it's on the shelf. Um, and we've had a lot of, you know, we've had a lot of challenges with that. To contrast that with a uh, ultra pasteurized organic dairy company that can sterilize their milk and they can wait 15 days for the truck to show up. It can sit in a warehouse for two months. It doesn't matter if there's, uh, it's not moving on the shelf in a store. You know, the, the dairy manager doesn't have to get frustrated. It can sit there another two weeks, three weeks. Whereas us, our milk is so fresh that if it didn't move off the shelf and it gets short, then we're paying for, we're paying the stores for refunds basically as they have to pull the product off. But, um, you know, our we started our, our company with the farmer's dream to provide the same quality of fresh milk to customers that they enjoyed. And so we've just dug into that and refuse to do anything different <laughs> despite oh. the pressure. Well, I applaud you for doing that. Um, and thank you for explaining. And now, can you um, talk about a little about what uh, homogenized is? Sure. Homogenization started as some tricky marketer's idea in France to sell milk differently to rich people, right? You create something that's different. It must be special. You can sell it for more money. Um, when it got to the United States, it basically... Uh, the idea got um, taken over by unscrupulous milk merchants. So you can think back in the day, you would get a jar of milk, the cream would float naturally at the top. And if it had a lot more cream, you would pay more for it. You would be excited because that's where you that's what you would skim off and make your butter out of. You can still do that with ours, by the way. Um, but if, if it was homogenized and consumers couldn't tell the difference, then unscrupulous milk merchants could skim off the cream, you know, homogenize it, shake it up, make the particles all mix up in with the milk. And then the consumer had no idea what was really happening. Um, then some companies got involved who had equipment and went around to trade shows and said, hey, this is better for baking. This is better in for all kinds of ways. You know, you should start buying it and selling it this way. Um, and the idea took off because everybody, you know, companies want to make money. Um, basically, with our milk, normal, natural milk, Raw milk could be the same thing. The cream naturally separates and floats to the top and sort of creates a little bit of a, of a harder, if it's really cold or if it's compacted while you're moving it or whatever, the cream will harden a little bit. And so it floats to the top. Most companies homogenize their milk and that's where they smash it under 20,000 pounds of pressure. They smash the cream fat, the butter fat, into millions and millions of little tiny pieces that then disperse through the milk. It definitely creates a different kind of a different kind of feeling. Okay, so your product is non-homogenized. 
Yes. You don't mess with that. I've often seen... So if anyone listening, if you've ever bought yogurt and it says cream mm-hmm. top. So some companies, I'm not saying you, because you said you have everything naturally and the, the fat naturally rises to the top, but some companies add cream on top. Yeah. And you can get double cream. I, I would say, you know... Um, what you really want to look at is the quality of the cream. You know, if somebody wants to add a really high quality, organic, 100% grass-fed cream, which is what ours is, 100% grass-fed and grown on verified regenerative farms, then then that's good. Um, that, that I don't have a problem with that per se. You're just taking cream from one milk and moving it into the other thing. Um, but if it's if it's junk, if it's added, you know, if it's if it's they're doing it on the cheap with low quality corn-fed conventional cream, you know, they're acting like it's a real health benefit and it may not be. Sure. Um, Now, speaking of cream, let's talk about full fat versus non-fat. So I've heard that the FDA actually requires vitamins to be put back into anything that is not full fat because the vitamins are taken away along with the fat that's removed in fat-free dairy. Um, now, the vitamins that they are putting back in are essentially synthetic. Do you know yep. anything about this? Oh, yes, we do. We can't stand it. So, um, yes, uh, the FDA and the government, in its wisdom, um, said that vitamin A is such an important nutrient that um, the vitamin A uh, in dairy is in the cream and in the cream fat, the butter fat. We call it cream. But it's, it's called butter fat is the other way to talk about it. Um, and when you skim off your milk, when you when you skim off the cream to make 2% milk or skim milk, you're losing so much of that vitamin A that you have to add it back. And what it is, it's called vitamin A palm, palmitate. And you'll see this on labels. Um, we have to do that too. By the way, chocolate, most chocolate milks come from skim milk, right? People skim off the milk for cream, for whipping cream, half and half. They skim off cream for whipping cream, half and half, butter, other things, and then they don't know what to do with it afterwards, especially as skim milk and um, and 2% milk have gone down as people have ramped up their use of whole milk. So we have to add it back in, just like everybody else. Vitamin A has to be added back in. In Iowa, our, our, our label, the label bureaucracy here, makes us put it in a very prominent place. Um, whereas many states don't require that. It'll be buried somewhere and you won't see it. We have to put it in a real prominent place in our label. And when people complain about it, which we totally understand, we just say, go buy our whole milk. And if you need 2% or skim milk, go buy our whole milk whole, our whole milk, and skim off the cream. Yeah, that's a great tip because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know it's unfortunate and I hate it yeah. just like you do because all these vitamins are being added back in and it's by law. Otherwise you can't sell it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? yeah. And so just for those listening, there's so many just laws and regulations and just political stuff that goes on behind all this like manufacturing that really is putting putting companies down or having forcing them to do things that maybe they don't want to do. Um, now, another thing that a lot of people don't know or realize that I want to bring to light is basically what companies have to do to 
to be in a store, right? And it's unfortunate because I know a lot of people probably want to get your products or um, mm-hmm. other other products that are smaller brands. And the issue with smaller brands going in to, let's say, Whole Foods or Sprouts or whatever, a big chain is that these grocery stores actually require companies to pay them to be on the shelves. It's called paying for shelf space. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it's a little painful. Um, most most people feel, most people have the idea that maybe a, a gardener or something shows up at a store and the store will buy directly for from them. But stores don't want to. They don't want to talk to two and three thousand small producers. What they want to do is buy either from really big producers uh, directly, or they buy through what are called distributors. Uh, there's a big distributor called UNFI. Distributors have warehouses all over the country. They have products in their warehouses. Stores look at catalogs and then buy directly from those distributors. We actually mostly sell to, like everybody else, sell to distributors. Um, now, distributors are in it to make money. They probably mark the product up twenty percent or so, um, and they have a lot of a lot of power. If they don't carry you, then the store can't get your stuff. So when the distributor looks at you and says, "Well," We have a promotional campaign. We want you to, to buy a web a web banner or a page ad in our catalog at ten thousand dollars a month or whatever. Um, little guys and everybody are under a lot of pressure to do that. Of course, first of all, big companies can afford it. Um, they they have the resources. Secondly, there are there are companies and you've heard of them uh, that are backed by venture capital groups and blowing up. And in their case, what they're going for is shelf space and market share. So they don't have to, they're not interested in turning a profit. They can lose millions of dollars while they're gobbling up shelf space, putting small producers out of business. And once they've gobbled up that shelf space, what do they do? They have their five or seven year exit strategy where they sell out to General Mills, right? And everybody walks away with millions, except the small producers who are put out of business because they couldn't compete with the venture capital-backed companies who are buying shelf space ads and then doing things like, for example, they will, there was a company the other, um, I was going around in April and they shipped tons of cases of free of butter. They shipped thousands of cases of butter to stores and this particular store chain, the, the health market and dairy manager told me, we have to put it on the shelf. We're getting all this product for free. We have to put it on the shelf. Now, big companies could do that. Little, little tiny company and producers can't. We're at a real disadvantage. Um, we've survived through two different things that I could talk about, but um, yeah, yeah, you're either you're you're giving them you're giving you're giving distributors and stores lots of free product, or you're buying ads. And woe to the small guy who who doesn't um, produce. The only time you won't have to do it as much is if customers are banging on the doors. Of the of the health market manager or dairy manager and saying we want this in your store. We have literally been in stores solely because there are ten or fifteen customers of that store that come in and buy lots of other stuff, and then they buy our milk. And the dairy manager's like, I keep a couple cases because those people there's just a few buy your milk, and um, and they buy lots of other groceries, and I want to keep them happy. Mm, That's a great tip. Yeah. Customer demand is the key, is the, is the key. It's the only thing that will overcome the economic incentive of a big company to, um, you know, just squeeze. 
just squeezed for their profits. I get it. I understand, you know, but that's what happens. Well, it's a perfect example that our voice does matter for a lot of people think, oh, it's just really not going to matter if I say anything or not. It totally says Mm -hmm. something. So go to your local grocer. If you're wanting Kelowna Supernatural or any other product that you just can't get, go and talk to, for example, dairy, talk to the dairy manager. If you're looking for something in the bakery, talk to the bakery manager. You know what I mean? Talk to that person in charge of that um, section of the store. Most most places they are affected by it. There are some big things like Whole Foods. We started our our owner drove his truck and his kids and a cold fill of milk in the back of his van or truck down to down to Whole Foods in St. Louis. The executives were like, "Okay, come on in," you know, and they tried it. and They're like, "This is wonderful." So that's how we got into Whole Foods. Nowadays, you know, um, multinational corporate stuff, data stuff, AI is going to make it worse. You know, they can they can analyze instantly down to the penny what's doing well and what's not. And 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 squeeze, you know, for more profits for their shareholders based on all kinds of data. You know, we can we can barely we can barely survive in that kind of environment. You brought up a great point too about AI and just making it worse because they're not gonna really consider the emotional or the demand aspect. They're gonna simply just look at numbers and say, okay, what's selling? And then let's just put more into X amount of stores. So this is where our dollar really, really matters and where we spend it. And we vote with our dollar here. And it's just so unfortunate. There's just so many things are going on behind the scenes that people have no idea. Now, um, you know, speaking of like, <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about going back to kind of like the health benefits. I know we kind of did a full circle here talking about the logistics and the health benefits, but I want to also talk about the A2 milk, why that is so important as far as digestion goes and why people can digest it a lot better. Yeah. So I'm, I'm awful. I always mix, I always mix this stuff up, but A2, A2, let's see. Uh, maybe 30% of the population is has some kind of allergic response to milk. Let me give let me say that um, I believe, and most of our customers believe that the response to heavily grain-fed diet milk um, is uh, people are having reactions to conventional milk that they don't have to natural milk. So I'd say that first. Secondly, though, um, some people uh, can't die. I'm going to mix this up. I always do. Can't digest. Um, they can only digest milk from A2 variety cows. I'll say it that way. A2 variety cows. So um, some herds and at least one dairy has specifically bred for A2 variety cows, which some people then um, that couldn't digest milk otherwise can digest. Probably it's about 30% of the population. Um, Our cows... uh, Jersey cows, the brown ones, are usually A2 variety cows. Now, it depends, but um, Jersey cows are usually A2 variety. Probably 60 to 80% of our herds are uh, consist of A2 variety cows. Um, it's expensive to test. It's expensive to segregate. It's expensive to transition your herds naturally. If we're using artificial insemination and millions of dollars to buy A2 bulls and cows, we could do it faster, but our small farms are just growing um, their A2 herds as they can. They're transitioning over time. Um, and so we think between that, um, most of our cows being 100% grass-fed or close to it, then us using low-temp pasteurization and non-homogenization, we get all kinds of stories that people can digest our milk where they can't digest other milk. 
Yeah. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. So it's really important for people to know the difference and that that may be the issue with them and that there are options out there. Um, now, let's talk about the best buy date for a second because can milk actually, I mean, milk can actually spoil, but there's a difference between the best buy date and really what best used by, best consumed by, and all of that. And it's kind of a little tricky here. So, yeah, on on dairy, it's a sell by it's a sell by date. It's actually okay. a sell by date, and that that honestly is a best estimate on when the product should be sold. And typically, a way to say is that it, it's in its highest quality form. But it's it's a government required estimate that we put. It's really something. Um, so, but we do know that, for example, with milk, our sell by date. Or shelf life is not, we call it shelf life, but it's 19 days. So it should be good up until 19 days. But if it's been in a warm truck on the way to Oregon and somebody didn't handle it right, it could go, it could go bad sooner, a little sooner. And we do get, we do get questions about that when that happens. Um, it also could last a little longer. So for example, if you store milk, if you open milk and store it in the front of your fridge, that's different than if it's in the back of the fridge. These things matter. Now, once you've opened milk, it almost always, like raw, raw milk, same way, everything's the same way, but it's like five to seven days, it'll usually spoil. So whether it's been ultra pasteurized, low temp pasteurized, or is raw, it will usually spoil in about five to seven days because instantly bacteria gets into it. If you um, drink out of the bottle, you're gonna add a lot of bacteria and it's probably gonna go spoil a lot more, a lot more quickly. Um, uh, again, with, when a, when a milk is ultra pasteurized though, and has a three month to five month shelf life and is packed in antiseptic, antiseptic uh, packaging, um, most of the cardboard containers have aluminum lining. Nobody knows that lined with aluminum inside the cardboard, right? If you pour milk in a cardboard box, it's going to leak through. Why doesn't it leak through the cardboard and that you, in the milk containers that you see in the store? It's because they're lined with aluminum or some other kind of, you know, plastic material. Um, so um, again, you know, those milks will last a lot longer. You can take some of those and stick them in the fridge and they'll last forever. Okay. So this is required too by by law to put a sell-by date, even though it can typically last longer if you keep it at uh, the best uh, storage. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And in our, yeah. And I would say also though, uh, when milk does start to spoil it, you can use it just like you would in like mashed potatoes, like you would with sour cream is a way to, is a way to think about it. If milk spoils a little bit, you use it just like you would sour cream. No kidding. Really? So you can still use spoiled milk? Yep. Yep. As it starts to, as it starts to get a little sour, a little off. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Sour cream is, if you just think about it, what sour cream is, right? cultured, you know, sort of cultured or gone milk that's gone a little bad. Is the way milk to think that's about. gone bad. Oh, great. I'm never going to eat sour cream the same Good. again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll say it's a replacement. Our sour cream is not milk that's gone bad. It's great sour cream. Um, yeah, your products are amazing, by the way. You guys need to try them. Um, okay, so Sam, where can people find your products? Yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, we've managed, we've managed, and this is because of your listeners and people who've asked for it and gone in and banged on the door. Um, we're in all 50 states, probably 3,500 stores nationwide, mostly um, 
natural food retailers like Whole Foods, Sprouts, Natural Grocers, um, lots of independent co-ops, HEB, Central Market, probably uh, high V's across the Midwest. Um, what we're really excited about is that our milk now, even though we have a 19-day shelf life, we managed to figure out the logistics to get it into all Arizona Sprout stores. If it does really well, there's only 50 there. If it does really well, it could go into all California stores. There's about 160 there. It's found its way into places like Erwan, which is the where the Hollywood stores. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I've seen it there. I've bought it there at Erwan before. You guys, oh, I know, cool. are in uh, Mother's Market in Orange County. Um, yeah. Lassen's maybe, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Bristol Farms, Bristol Farms, Bristol Farms. And oh, what's the other one in San Diego? Lazy Acres could pick it up. So once it gets to a distributor out there, because because a store chain like Sprouts is bringing it into all their stores, then it's immediately available to all the small guys and other chains. You mm -hmm. have to have an anchor, an anchor to bring it in. And it's Sprouts in Florida and Sprouts in Arizona that's broken us in there. And then Natural Grocers has in Nevada and Arizona, but it takes a long time for supply to catch up with demand. So first they order 50 cases, right? Our cases, boom, sell out immediately. But they're like, well, maybe they're just doing heavy promotion or something. So we're going to get 60 next time, 70 next time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so for people that are really passionate about it, just keep asking and be a little patient as the supply chain ramps up to meet the demand. Yeah. And and obviously you have different products. So not every store carries yes. all of your products versus like your sour cream versus your cottage cheese and yogurts and kefir and milk. And um, I think you have whipping yep. cream as well. So um, yeah, we're, we have 18 different products, including eggnog, which is coming out. We're coming out with a new, a new kefir, kefir, mm. depending on how you say it. Um, and typically our cultured products, though, we, you'll find those on the coast much more readily than than whole milk. So um, Kimberton Whole Foods out in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, Mother's Market out there, lots of co-ops. You'll you'll find our cultured products, but not our whole milk. Yet. Amazing. And that's been Amazing. true in California too for a long time and the in Washington State and Oregon for a long time. Well, Sam, I am so thrilled that you were able to come on today and share just all the logistics and behind the scenes about milk in general, regenerative farming, and what it takes to really have a small business with integrity like yourself. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. And I just thank you and everybody. We don't have marketing budgets like, you know, it's just basically word of mouth and people on Instagram who then show our products and repost stories and stuff. So we really appreciate everything you're doing and everything our your fans are doing to support our small farms. Uh, well, thank you so much. And we'll be sure to put a link uh, to their website where you guys can find maybe a store locator and, and go from there. So thank you so much, Sam. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Digest This. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review in your podcast app to let us know. If you're ever wondering how you can support me and this podcast, sharing it with your friends and family is the best way. This is a Resonant Media production produced by Drake Peterson and edited by Mike Fry. To email the show, message us at digestthispod at gmail.com. See you next time. The content of this show is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for individual medical and mental health advice and does not constitute a provider-patient relationship. As always, talk to your doctor or health team first. Looking to build a more robust foundation in your health and well-being? 
From the producer of Digest This comes one of the most popular alternative health shows on Apple Podcasts, The Dr. Tina Show. Dr. Tina Moore is a naturopathic physician and chiropractor, traditionally and alternatively trained in science and medicine. The show features exclusive interviews with experts such as Sean Stevenson, Mike Mutzel, Mark Groves, and even solo episodes covering metabolic health, pharmaceuticals, chronic diseases, long hauler syndrome, and pain management. Dr. Tina delivers the information in a no-nonsense, real-world style, and she has the science to back it up. The Dr. Tina Show is edgy, entertaining, and informative. Every episode will leave you with a new pearl of health wisdom to expand your knowledge base. When you're empowered, you can do better for yourself, your family, and your community. Resilience is the name of the game, and Dr. Tina is here to guide you on your way. Listen to The Dr. Tina Show today on your favorite podcast app. New episodes every Wednesday. Produced by Drake Peterson and Resident Media.